What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to yet another episode of Sheehan's World. Today, I have a very special guest stepping into my world. We have interacted on Twitter for multiple years now. We were just talking before the show how when the AD stuff was going on with the Celtics, how he was trying to tool me a little bit, trying to get Marcus Smart. So that was always a, a big topic for us. But we've known each other for a few years on Twitter. I know him best because he was a pitcher at LSU and he was drafted in the ninth round of the 2015 MLB draft by the Houston Astros. So I'm happy to have on Zach Pearson step into my world today. How are you, Zach? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Oh, there we go. You got the, the camera on now. <laughs> yeah, it took me, a, took me a second to get it going. So I told you before the show, I always start with asking my guests where they're from and how they got into or where they are now in life. So where are you from, Zach? And how you, where were you um, at in life at this point? Um, well, um, originally from a really small town in Louisiana, um, kind of just uh, kept getting the next phone call baseball wise. Right. So like I went to a Juco in my hometown um, and then that kind of spun into uh, a call from LSU. And so after that, you know, just phone calls kind of went here and there. So I kind of bounced around, um, started off with no real, uh, no real plan for that, but just kind of playing the game that I enjoyed and then kind of kept taking off. Um, I, I met my wife in high school. She ended up going to all the same stops as me kind of coincidentally um, <laughs> on her, on her own thing. So now we're living in um, kind of Northern Louisiana. We're, we're both originally from the Southern part, uh, but we're more in uh, Northern Louisiana now. It's a, uh, it's an area that I like to call South Arkansas. Cause I like to joke that they don't have the same culture, <laughs> but uh, we're up here now. She's in medical school. I'm in nursing school and uh, we finished this summer and we're probably going to head back down to where our families are, but that's pretty much it, man. That's awesome. Yeah. That sounds so great. So <laughs> um, you said you uh, played at LSU. So you actually got to play with Alex Bregman. You guys were on the same team. Yeah. So he's with the Astros currently right now still. What was it uh, – what was that kind of like playing with Bregman and uh, getting drafted to the same team in, you know, the same year? Oh, it was, uh, it was a really cool experience. So Bregman and I were um, – we actually had lockers next to each other oh, cool. uh, at LSU. Yeah, so, like, we were, we were buddies. He's always, been, he's always been really good to us, like, um, really good to me and my wife both. He, like, flew down for our wedding and everything. Like, he's just – He's a good dude. He's a good friend of mine. Um, and so it's it's really, really crazy uh, to see like how he kind of became the villain of baseball. Right. Mm -hmm. Because he's he's a genuinely great guy, like tr <laughs> through and through. So like my wife doesn't pay attention to anything sports related just at all. She just it does not matter to her. And the other day I was talking to her about it and I was like, you know, um, I was like, you know, Alex is like the, the like the villain, of, like most of the nation hates him now. And she was like, no way. And I was like, no seriously he's like the villain of, of like an entire sport and she just still like to this day she doesn't like believe me when I tell her that <laughs> no he definitely has become a villain I mean just because of you know the attitude he kind of walks around with and it's not like kind of a yeah. bad attitude it's just like he's confident in his game well yeah and he was loud like so yeah it's it was the confidence and he was like very vocal and very loud in their victory so then whenever all the stuff happened it was like well whose shoulders are, is it going to fall on? It fell on those three or four guys who acted like that, you know? 
that's a roster of however many guys, 40, you know? And so like, there's only, there's really only four, maybe five of them that you really like became like vilified nationally. Mm-hmm. And he just became one of those guys, but it's because of, he was one of the vocal guys during their winning also. Right. Which right. Is crazy. Yeah. Right. That, it is crazy. And now you get to, you know, um, he was, you know, your locker buddy and now you get to see that he has become the villain. So that is kind of wild. Um, I got to ask you, so how did you first start uh, getting into baseball? Man, oh, dude, this is uh, a <clears throat> so I started whenever I was I started playing when I was like four, um, okay. but I was no good at all. I had no interest in the game whatsoever. I mean, I, it's not like that's very uncommon for a four year old. Right. But <laughs> um, but yeah, I just had no interest in the game up until I was like eight. Like I just just didn't really care about it. I was out there. My parents are kind of putting me in different things to see if I had something that I would cling to. And um, there was a, a coach for a travel, a travel ball team who grew up with my mom. And this is a funny story. I love telling it, but I was terrible, right? I was the kid who was like, like I was in the outfield in uh, like T-ball and coach pitch because I just wasn't paying attention to what was going on. Like that was one nice. of those guys, one of those guys <laughs> that I only saw the field because the rule said that I had to. Like that kind of thing. And, uh, and so this coach for this travel ball team calls my mom and he's like, Hey, like, uh, I want Zach to be on the team with us. And my mom told me this story later, but she was like, listen, and they were, like I said, they were friends. She goes, listen, if this is a joke, like it's, it's really not funny. Like my mom was like offended that he had called and asked for me to be on the travel ball team. Cause I was just that bad. Um, and he was like, no, like I, I, like I like his attitude and I really think he could end up doing something he just never been coached before and so then that guy took me um I ended up playing on like that same travel ball team from the time I was eight until I was like 14 uh-huh. and then um so I had like I had two elbow surgeries in that time um and just by that time I had kind of learned to like kind of love the game and just I had fun playing it started getting better but very slowly and so it was like the little bit of like the little taste of improvement a little bit at a time made me want to see how much more I could improve. Right. So it kind of just created this mentality. And uh, like I said, I had those two elbow surgeries, ended up coming back from them, um, was, was doing okay in high school. And then I tore my ACL playing football ah. and it kind of just, uh, I don't know, man, it kind of lit this like weird fire um, just kind of inside my stomach of being like, well, I'm definitely going to play. And I just wanted to enjoy my senior year because um, I missed my whole junior year for for a knee problem and then an, a shoulder problem when I came back. So then my senior year, I was like, okay, I just want to do my best. I just want to try and enjoy this season. And then, like I said, the JUCO in my hometown gave me a phone call. And then it just kind of, like I said, it was like the incremental improvement just kept me seeing like, okay, well, I did that step. Let's see if what does it take to get to the next step. And it just Oddly enough, is like my life changed like year by year. At the start of the year, I was never good enough to like really play at the current level I was at. And then by the end of it, it was like, okay, let's see what the next one has. And it just kind of kept going that way. Yeah. So you had that, that like spark in you that kind of just like lit and made you want to keep going, which is so cool. So yeah. when you got to Juco, what was it that next step you knew you had to take to? um you know get to LSU because what what, was LSU always in your mind like what was the school that you always wanted to go to for baseball well so 
as a kid growing up in South Louisiana, LSU is always the dream, right? Anybody who says it's not, they're probably lying. Um, it just was, right? Because they were the standard, especially in like the 90s when we were growing up. It was like they were the standard. They were college baseball. Like they created all this. Like the, the stadium is this cathedral to like the history of college baseball. So honestly, I kind of had LSU on such a pedestal that I didn't even consider them a possibility. Um, <laughs> Uh, like UL is uh, Lafayette. They're, they're right in my backyard. That's right where I grew up. So it was like, I was always like, man, it'd be really cool if I could go play for UL. That would be awesome. Like right. that was like the top of my expectations. Um, freshman year at uh, LSU E, the JUCO, I ended up playing okay. I did well. We won a national championship. So in the World Series, there were a few more eyes on us. Well, then Sophomore year rolls around and the, the coach comes up to me at uh, LSU and he said, where do you want to go? Like, if you could pick anywhere, regardless of where you think you stand, where you think they stand, just give me your list. And I said, in order, I said, dream schools would be LSU, Vandy and TCU. And he said, OK, I'm gonna call all three of them. And uh, LSU and TCU ended up talking to me. And then, like, it's kind of it's weird how recruiting works. But like once one school calls you then everyone that they compete with wants to talk to you. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's weird. Like recruiting isn't, uh, I always thought recruiting was going and getting the best players, but I don't think that is the case. I think it's trying to prevent the best players from beating you. <laughs> like I really think right. that's all yeah. recruiting is. And, and that's why Saban's always trying to get the best guys possible. He just doesn't want them beating him. Yeah, well, absolutely. Go look at uh, go look at how many playmakers they have that come out of Louisiana. He's like pulling them straight out of LSU's backyard constantly. <laughs> the, Smith, the Smith kid is from, is I think, like from Baton Rouge. Is he? Yeah, the Heisman. Wow. He's, yeah, I didn't he's know He's from that. like, it's, I don't think it's exactly Baton Rouge, but he's from like 45 minutes away tops. Yeah, wow. He's he's yeah. crazy. He's going to have a unreal NFL career. He has to. Yeah, yeah. He they, That kid is just so fast, man. Yeah, no, there's no one that can keep up with him. He's just crazy, crazy good. And that was the first time in a while that a, a wide receiver had won the Heisman. Yeah, I mean, there's only a few, like, ever. Yeah. It was, I so. think it's the first time since Desmond, the guy yeah. from game day. I, I don't think anyone's done it since him. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. So it has been an absolute while, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So once you were at LSU, can you tell me that experience? Like, what, what was it like being a, a D1 athlete? Um, did you expect it to be the schedule that it was? Was it a little bit harder? Was it easier or what was it what you expected? It's, it was different. Um, it's hard to say whether or not it was harder or easier. It was just completely different. So like going from Juco to, to that D one level was, was odd because like in Juco, you know, they, our coaches used to always joke that we have the, uh, we have a 40 man field crew. Right. That was the joke. But that was right. just us. <laughs> like, you know, like it was like when the tarp needed to be pulled, we were out there whenever, you know, weeds needed to be picked out of the gardens to make the stadium look nicer. It was us doing it all. So like the, it was a total culture shock to go from like that to then going to LSU where it's like, no, we're going to fly to this place that's in Mississippi and you're not even going to touch your bags the whole time. You know, like we're going to pull up to the airplane. You're going to get off the bus on the plane and you're going to land, you know, like it, it was just insane it was such a difference going from like this random school in the fields of this cajun area to being like no like 
they told me on my uh, on my recruiting visit, they said, we like to tell kids that if you sign with us, you don't even need to pack a bag. <laughs> like that's just how much stuff they give you. They just hand you everything. So it was a total, total culture, culture shock. And I don't think, I don't know if I could have succeeded um, going there straight out of high school. I feel like it would have been very easy to buy into it, to get super spoiled for it all. But I think doing the two years in JUCO where it's like, no, it's just nice to not uh, not have to pull out the hula ho after every single game. You know, it like kind of made me appreciate everything. I was able to like take a step back and appreciate like how beautiful it all was and the fans and everything. It was it was an awesome experience. And I really think I, the only reason I appreciated it as much as I did is coming from where I came from. Right, right. So with that experience at LSU and, you know, getting that culture shock, that must have been so so cool just getting all the free stuff in general i mean do you yeah. still have a bunch of stuff from uh being at lsu all that on the free gear i still have a lot i probably still have a third of what i got um some of the yeah. stuff got some of the stuff got lost some of the stuff got lost um, yeah <laughs> it's it's kind of one of those things um I've, I've handed stuff out to like you know like i've given jerseys to a couple family members i've given like random like t-shirts and stuff away um I'm pretty convinced my wife hides a lot of it. I think she, she keeps it cause it's all super comfortable, but uh, <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I still have, I still have quite a bit of it. I'm actually wearing a hoodie from like 2014 right now. <laughs> yeah. I noticed the hoodie. I was like, Oh, I wonder if he has more of it. <laughs> so once you went through LSU, you obviously went to the MLB and you got drafted in the ninth round by the Houston Astros. So what was it like getting drafted? and um going through that um whole draft process oh it was it was so crazy um I never I never expected to get drafted I never expected to even um to even be getting phone calls on those days right so my junior year um they had called that I was talking to a couple teams and they had said like you know what would your number be and so I just threw out an outrageous number on purpose Cause I was like, I would love, cause we didn't make it to Omaha that year. And I really wanted to see what Omaha was like. Mm-hmm. Plus I was like, I only have a few more classes left to get a degree. And so it was all this stuff going on. So I was like, I'm gonna throw out this crazy number. If someone takes it great. And if not, then I'm just going to go back for another year. It's not a big deal. Right. Um, and no one bit like no one, no one was even considering that number. So they're like, okay, cool. So I go back my senior year and LSU does a really good job of, um, so they'll have like scout days, like meeting days. So you dress up, you know, in like professional clothes and you go and you sit down and they'll have, they'll have like scouts from each team and you'll, mm-hmm. you'll be sitting down in a little room and everyone who wants to talk to you, each team, they'll take a turn walking in and out. So your guys like Bregman, they're going to talk to all 30 that are all 30 teams that are there. And then like guys like me, you know, there might be two or three that week. It's just kind of however it goes. Um, and so it was neat, though. You're, you're talking to all these people, but sometimes you never know if this team is just coming and talking to you because they're waiting for the other guy's table to open up. So I just chatted with everybody, shook hands with everybody. And then when the draft came around, um, I had three teams that told me they were interested and they had all said um, this is pretty coincidental, but they all said like so when the ninth round started, they were calling me and they said, we'll probably take you in the ninth. I was like, OK, cool. But there were three teams in a row, like on the draft board that all said ninth round. So I was like, well, if it happens, it's probably going to happen in the next like 30 minutes or so. So it was a a really weird, really nerve wracking situation. Um, We were getting dressed for practice because we had 
made it to Omaha that season. So we were getting dressed for practice and I was just kind of sitting in the locker room thinking like, man, if it happens, it's going to be any minute now. Um, and then, so I was kind of waiting, waiting, waiting. And I was like, all right, I guess it's not going to go on. So I'm walking out to the field and uh, actually my brother saw it first. I'm not sure how, but he just texted me, just texted me the word Astros. Like that's all he said. So I guess, I guess it had just been posted on whatever board he was watching. So he sends me a text that says Astros. And as I'm typing, what like I'm just saying like what are you talking about as, <laughs> yeah. I'm, as I'm typing it out my phone rings it's a number I don't know and I answered it and it was it was one of the like uh it's not it wasn't Lunau or anybody like that but it was just one of the scouts you know and he was like hey have you heard anything yet and I was like no what's going on and he said oh cool I get to break it to you he said uh congratulations buddy you're a Houston Astro and I was like whoa <laughs> so then I was like <laughs> kind of said my thanks and everything and then I just put my cleats on and went to practice it was a really like whirlwind experience but it was really cool yeah, that is so cool. I mean, I wish any sport that I that, you you know, like you grow up playing, you dream of getting drafted. So like for me, it was like basketball or doing soccer, even, you know, lacrosse when I picked that up uh, later in my teenage years. But I mean, that must have been such an unreal experience. Just that feeling when you're like, hey, you got drafted to, you know, this league that you grew up like dreaming of getting drafted to like and you just like freak out. Yeah, it was. It really was. Um, and you know what? I'll, I'll give LSU a lot of credit. They uh, they do a really good job of like if you're still playing or whatever, they they do a really good job of putting like each kid's moment um, at the forefront without, but also without like sacrificing the business day of like what we're trying to get done at practice. So mm -hmm. it was really neat. We had like our strength coach's job was to watch each person's cell phone like on the bench. Um, and if it rang was like, hey, go get that guy, you know, because like Coach Maneri and the and the assistant coaches like they recognize like this is a big moment for these kids, so it was really cool uh, how they did it. So like, um, you know, we had I think we had two guys go day one. Uh, obviously, Bregman was the second pick, mm -hmm. um, and and then Andrew Stevenson with the Nationals also went um, in the first round. So both those guys were gone. But in day two, we had like another like maybe six or seven guys get picked. And so it was really neat because in practice, they would call everybody up and they'd be like, hey, just want to let everybody know, you know, um, Mark Laird just got picked by the Phillies at the whatever round and everybody would just like celebrate. It was a really, <laughs> really cool day. I got to ask you. So since you were in the Astros organization, you might know where this is going. Yeah. Yeah, um, what, what, what was um, your reaction to when everything came out about them? You can choose to answer this if you want. You don't have to. <laughs> no, so um, we didn't know anything about it. I wasn't high enough to know anything about it. I wasn't on the 40 man or anything. Um, and it didn't, the news didn't break until about maybe 10 months after they had cut me. Okay. So, like, I wasn't in the situation when it all broke. You know, they won the, oh, wait, no, I guess I'm, I guess my timeline's a little bit off. They won the World Series about 10 months after they, or about six months after they cut me. Okay. So then, so then whenever the news broke, however long after they won the world series. Um, so yeah, like we, uh, in the, in like the lower levels, we had no idea that any of it was going on. Um, and talking to some of the guys, it actually kind of sounds like there were a bunch of teams that were doing similar stuff. Um, and they kind of needed a scapegoat. They needed like a team that to make an example out of, uh -huh. and it, they just kind of, they kind of picked one, you know, um, 
I think uh, the Red Sox took a couple like hits too, right? Because of Cora was with them or whatever. Yeah, Cora had to miss the season that had just happened. Yeah, um, and I yeah. don't, I don't, I don't remember the exact uh, punishments that they got, but I know Cora just didn't coach this past season, and now he's back. Yeah, I think baseball recognized that uh, that there was an issue kind of getting out of hand that that they really hadn't dealt with before right because it's just a new level of technology that we haven't seen before mm-hmm. and i think i think the league as a whole kind of saw that this is a this is something that has kind of gotten outside of where we wanted it to get and we need us like put a stop to it now before it gets even worse so they kind of just picked a couple people through some stuff out there but like i really i think that my theory is this and i don't have anything to back this up but my theory is that if it had been where it was only these, you know, 10 guys that were doing this so bad, mm-hmm. I think the individual players themselves would have taken a lot more punishment. But I think right. baseball kind of recognized, like, it's not worth it for us to for us to really cripple these guys' careers over something that we know a lot more people are doing. And I really believe that's why they punish the organization and not the individual players. Yeah, because if it was the individual players, you would have seen, like, a season long suspension. Gone. Yeah. Yeah. They would just be out. Like it'd be like, oh no, you guys are literal cheaters, right? They would have gotten a something similar to like a PED suspension or something, at least like that, you know? Right. Maybe even worse. But no, I think they recognized that it was a it was a large scale issue and they just needed to put a stop to it. And I don't know if they chose the Astros because of I don't think they were singling out that they needed a villain or anything. I think they just kind of picked like um, you know, like there were a couple teams in the playoffs that were doing really well in different situations and they wanted to put a stop to like having it be where the high level teams are the ones who are getting away with all this stuff. And I think they just chose the Astros for that. And they were, you know, coming back around from having some very down, down years and yeah. they were they were just the champions, too. So it's like, oh, the champions yeah. are doing it. It's easy to use them as a, as an example. Yeah. You know what's crazy about that? I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said that. So they were coming around from those down years, like you said. Um, mm-hmm. So in 2015, um, in 2015, they pulled all of the guys they drafted into uh, one room together for like this orientation kind of thing. And they were talking to us all about it. And they said um, and they actually pulled out. There's like a Sports Illustrated article about this, which is really nuts. Um, but they they had they had this like five year plan. Um, that was already set in motion by the time we got drafted in 2015. And they were talking to us about, we have this, we have that, we have this. They had made the, like the next analytics jump, right? So there was like the money ball stuff and then a couple more things. And then they were on the front end of like the next with all the shifts and all the like um, track man stuff and all this. They built that organization around similar philosophies where it's like they went and they picked. So they pull that. Let's say they pull a guy who's like the minor league pitching coordinator. Well, then he kind of cherry picked other pitching coaches for different levels who were also bought into the analytics side. And so like they wanted to build this like new organization solely based on the nerds behind the computer and see what would happen anyway. So that's just the setup. So in 2015, they tell us all in the room, they're like, we, we have exactly the lineup we've been trying to build for about three or four years now. And we feel like we just got the last piece that we were looking for. We will win a championship in 2017. They told us that two years prior, it is so insane to me. And they were talking about Bregman. 
You know, they're like, we got him. Like, we finally got that piece. We will win a championship in 2017. Hmm. And they drafted a they drafted a couple like young arms that they ended up moving for Verlander, you know, and getting like all this other stuff out of out of the pieces. But they had this like five year plan in place in like 2013. And then once 15 came around, they're like, we're going to win. We're going to win the World Series in 2017. You can book it. And it's insane because you can actually see wow. they said similar stuff in like a Sports Illustrated article, like prior to when they told us that. It's really bananas. That Sports Illustrated article, the author of that, I had actually reached out to him and asked him to actually have an, an interview with him. And I never got to. But yeah. I remember that article and I was like, as soon as they won it, I looked back to it. And I remember I went on Twitter and I screenshot and I was like, congrats and put the author. I forget his name, but I was like, oh my yeah. gosh, this guy called it. And now it's like, crazy. it was, it was known within the organization that you guys were going to win it, which is, and that was, that's crazy. Yeah. And when they said it, everyone was kind of like, ah, you know, like everyone thinks they're going to win. You know, every, if you ask any organization in any professional sport, they all think they're at, they're within a year and a half out of being great right? Because it, things fall into place. You got development goals for these guys. And of course, you're like, I think in about two years, we could be legitimate contenders. Anyone would say that. So whenever they told us that we thought out, oh, it is what it is. But they were like, no, we're dead serious about that. I think that Sports Illustrated article, the focal point of that was Springer, right? I, I think it was Springer. I think, I think like, it might have I think it might have I think it might have been talking about Springer and then uh, what a big piece Correa was think yeah yeah i think it was because I, I think i would have to look back to that i just remember the article was like unreal it's like how exactly how he called it just winning the world series in that year and then um what they started to do after i think people started to predict once the astros did it people are now starting to predict that the padres were going to do it because the padres were setting mm -hmm. up in a certain way did you believe that so, too i started to see stuff about that going around so it's hard so seeing like you know, there's the random, there's like the random names that were in that whole organization, right? And I'm talking about on the coaching side. So like you had, um, you know, you may have had hitting coaches in, in single A or, you know, like low, like just coaches along the ladder. And then you also had players who got released over time who ended up going and being rookie league coaches in other organizations and this and that. What I think we ended up seeing was especially especially when the news of everything hit and the scandal came out and all this stuff, all these guys spread out. They went all across the world of baseball again. So they took a bunch of guys of similar uh, philosophies and then rescattered them everywhere. So what we ended up seeing was these were a bunch of people who realized that you win a championship with these numbers for whatever mm -hmm. reason, like it or not, wins come out of this, these random stats. So then once that kind of rescattered throughout, it just created the whole new wave of baseball because now you have that philosophy is now in every organization. And so right. now it's, it's actually that there's way more teams, there's way more organizations bought into that philosophy than not. Um, and so the Padres are now one of them where a few coaches from that side go over there. They take a couple of their buddies with them who they think would also buy in. And then there you go. You have a culture change related around those random computer you know, computerized analytics and everything. So it's, it's right. interesting, but baseball will never go back now. Like it just, it will never happen. So when you say go back, go back to what exactly? So before, to, to before where, they started yeah. shifting players and everything like that, like the shift in the field. 
Yeah, which I actually think they're – I was reading something about they're trying to uh, cut down on the shift, I think. Maybe, like, to put, like, position parameters in place where you can't go further than a certain amount or whatever. Um, but which yeah, I, I – do, do, do you think that's necessary, though? Because I think that's what makes a sport so challenging is you have to find ways to get around those new things yeah. that are set in place, those new obstacles. I'm not so – and I know that, like, I have friends in the analytics side who they will – they will swear by the shift and they will die by the shift. They're like, no, it works because blank, blank and blank. And I'm, I feel like I'm a little more old school in that sense. I don't really buy into the shift that much because I feel like what the shift tells us is that more hits occur for balls hitting certain locations, but that's also because that's where the guys were standing. So yeah. I, I just think that like by shifting guys into those spots defensively, you're just going to see more hits occur in the spots where they were standing is really what right. I think we're going to end up seeing. <laughs> right. Uh, what's because they, they use 70 years of data, you know, and then are comparing it to a hundred games of data. And so like, they're, they're like, you see, look at the differences. And it's like, well, yeah, but I think in the next five to 10 years, we're going to start seeing those numbers just slowly start evening back out. Cause I think hitters just, that's the, that's the idea. Why else would you try to hit the ball up the middle your whole life? Because right. no one's standing up the middle. You know, like, I don't think they're doing it because that's their wheelhouse. I think they're just doing it because that's where no one's at. Right. So, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not super bought in on it. Even still, I've seen all the numbers and everything. I think it works to an extent. Like, I do think it works for guys who are pull only. Like, a guy who he'll play an entire season and hit one ball opposite field. That's different. But, like, some of these organizations, they're just like, anytime a righty's up, we're just moving everybody over. And I just don't – I don't buy into it that much. I can see that now, how uh, it's not really needed. Because from your point of view, I was saying before, because I think it adds an element to the game, but then you actually are just pointing something out. It's like, well, no, not really. <laughs> it's, it's not that <laughs> it's hard just, to look at. <laughs> but, yeah, like, yeah, like I, I see it as, like, of course more balls are falling in that spot. We don't have a guy standing in that spot. Like right. It's really kind of just how I look at it, but I don't yeah. know. But they um, also no one pays me for that opinion, so so I'm probably hey, very wrong on that. Yeah, yeah. Free tips though. Free tips <laughs> if you're right. <laughs> um, I was asking before though, what exactly do you think is not going to be the same anymore? Um, so, I know you probably went over it a little bit, but I want to yeah. know what exactly um, you think. Well, the shift is one thing, but more, I think more from the pitching aspect, like all the track man stuff. So like they, um, I'll use, uh, I'll use Lance McCullers as an example, because he's one that they gave to us. Now this, these numbers are going to be a little outdated because these are numbers from six years ago, but whenever Lance McCullers was like kind of doing that run around the 2014, 15, 16 stretch, he was really mm -hmm. good getting a lot of strikeouts. Um, he was really good at what they wanted him to be good at, which was just like hammer breaking balls. And just, he was, he was gross and he had a lot of guys off balance and stuff. Well, they saw that in him when he was in either single a or double a, because they just saw that like, uh, and you've probably heard these terms beaten into the ground by now, but this is, again, this is seven years ago. Um, but like spin rate, RPMs, all this stuff, spin, uh, like spin direction, all these mm -hmm. things that, everybody on Instagram is talking about today. Nobody was talking about that at that time. They had like uncovered this new, you know, like un not just the Astros, just this new wave of analytics, right. broken out this new way to grade pitchers. So then they started training guys 
toward those things. They started seeing numbers that said, for some reason, when a fastball has a 12 o'clock spin, it gets hit less than when it has that like 1145 spin, right? They realized right. that that hop, that hop causes more swing and misses. Well, then they started, you know, um, this is another example, but then they started taking that and being like, oh, well, now we learned that that hopping fastball is actually more effective at the top of the zone than at the bottom. Cause at the bottom, it jumps into a guy's barrel. Whereas at the top, it jumps above the barrel. Mm-hmm. So it's just little things like that. Now, like I said, today, that's like common knowledge. You'll hear little league coaches trying to teach that to these like 10 year olds. <laughs> but seven years ago, they were like, we'd have to go sit in like a classroom and they would be like breaking it all down. Like, this is why this works. This is why like they actually had like track man numbers that said that a 12-6 breaking ball or, or like, a, uh, like a sweeping breaking ball was actually worse like lefty on lefty than it was lefty on righty. Whereas for the last 70 years of baseball, people were always like, well, you bring in a lefty to throw a curveball to a left-handed hitter. Right. Well, then the, the data was like, no, man, actually they smash those because it drops right into the swing of their barrel. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, but so like, yeah, so it's like, it's crazy. In 2021, every organization is going to know this stuff. But in 2013, they were like, they just had these dudes in computers being like, oh, my God, I just broke this. Like, I just broke the game. Yeah. So <laughs> so they started. So back to McCullers, they started training McCullers because they learned that, like, in his bullpens, he had this insane spin rate. And they were like, if we teach him how to just up maximize the spin rate, he could end up having the best curveball in baseball. Like, that's mm-hmm. what they said. They said that about this kid in double A. Like he could literally have the best curveball in baseball. And he ended up being like a focal point of that playoff run a few years later because they just tailored his development process to that. And it was really interesting, but that's what I mean. Baseball will never go back to what it was before that time. Got you. Yeah. It's honestly interesting to see um, when there is a new generation or era in a sport for real. It's really interesting to see. We're about to see that in golf, and I don't watch golf, but I was talking to some buddies of mine the other day who do, and apparently there's this guy who's like, he's all in on just uh, like drive distance, just like out the box. He's just adding all these yards to his drives, and it's it's shortening it's shortening up like the short game, and ultimately just taking strokes off of the whole day, you mm-hmm. know. And it's really crazy because I was like, once that guy shows it. And I think some people, some of the purists are kind of pulling against the rope on that. Um, again, I do not know what I'm talking about when it comes to golf. So like <laughs> anybody, anybody who hears this, feel free to like send me stuff. I, I would love to learn this kind of stuff. But we were just talking about it one day at like a sports bar. And I was like, dude, if that guy shows that it's effective, which I think he just won like a big tournament in 2020. I was like, the game will never go back. We're seeing the beginning of a seven year change and it will never go back to the way it was before. Because what you're going to see next is somebody who's probably better in the short game take that long drive approach. And then Mm -hmm. he'll ultimately edge him out by a little bit because he's better at both now. And then it's just every single every single 10 year old golfer on the planet is going to start developing to that. And the game will just the game will never return to the way it was before. It only takes one person to show how to do it. And it's it's forever different. Yeah. Yeah. No, seriously. That's how it is. I mean, like, that's what MJ was. But. To basketball yeah when you look yeah. at basketball mj was the first to do so many things and then the game never went back to what it was 
and even more recently, so like basketball has taken a few huge steps, but even more recently with like the eliminating the uh, shots and like the deep two range, mm-hmm. right? So going from all high percentage in the inside, or if we're going to reduce the percentage, we might as well make it worth an extra point. Right. Like that whole, that whole change, it will never return. Yeah. Like it will never go back to the way it was because these, like, like I said, I, I love using the term. I, I could talk about this stuff all day. I'm essentially one of the nerds of the computer, but like these nerds at, behind the computer, they've changed sports forever. Yeah, they seriously have. And when you were talking about, you know, getting more on your return with your shots uh, and that's why a three point shot is used so much now, that was what the Rockets were really doing and Darren Moore mm-hmm. and they, they really started to figure that out. Yeah, it's how um, the so Warriors. It's how the it's how the Warriors took a few guys who were like not really super respected before a certain run and turned it into a dynasty. Right, like they right. did that exact same thing with like Clay and Steph. Right, and then obviously with KD, it became a different thing. You know, yeah. like it became like <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. But with those two dudes before, winning what they what did they go seventy three and nine? Yeah, they had the best record ever. Yeah. That's crazy. Like, it's so crazy. They just took two dudes who could shoot the lights out and essentially just, like, developed the game plan around that. Right. And they just were they were just on more times than they were off. Yeah. It, it's crazy to see how teams have honestly just been able to change it, too. Um, real quick, because we're coming towards the end of, my, uh, end of the show, uh, you can see the timer came on. Uh, that usually doesn't happen. <laughs> but um, we got, like, three minutes left. Real quick, oh, shoot. give me, like, a two-minute – prediction for the super bowl this upcoming weekend who you got chiefs or bucks brady or Mahomes? okay um i know you're a big brady guy right being from yes. boston i know that um yes. i think i think that ultimately i think the chiefs are the better football team and i mm-hmm. think that i think that tampa bay's only real chance to win in my opinion is to capitalize on they have to take chiefs mistakes the chiefs are are they're accident prone right to an extent they're explosive and they'll blow you open if you try to go, uh, if you try to trade blows with them. But um, I think that if the Chiefs make a couple early mistakes, I think Tom Brady's enough of a veteran to take that, turn that into like these long, drawn out Leonard Fournette heavy drives. Yep. I think it would only take one, maybe two mistakes for Tampa Bay to take a good nine minutes off of the clock there, shorten the game enough to be able to win in the end. I think that's Tampa Bay's only real shot. I think you have to have those long, drawn-out drives capitalizing on Chiefs' mistakes. Ultimately, I think the Chiefs are the better team, and I would assume that the Chiefs end up winning the game. But, like I said, Tom Brady, being the veteran that he is, if they give him the chance to win, he will win. Yeah. If they turn the ball over just one too many times, he's going to capitalize on it. And that's how he wins, really, in the postseason He'll take yeah. advantage of the other team turning over the ball to his great defense. So yeah. I, I'm rooting for Brady. What do you got for a score? Oh, um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Chiefs by by like eight. I don't know, 33-24 Chiefs, something along that line is what I'm thinking. I'm gonna go 31 to 27 Bucks. Nice. That would be. I need to go with game, Brady. Dude. I need to go with Brady. <laughs> That's fair. I don't blame you at all. <laughs> but real quick. So now we are coming towards the end of the show. I just want to thank you so much. And I appreciate you so much for coming on the show. Um, this has been a great episode and some great conversation. I'm sorry we had to cut it off because of the timer. I don't know why I came on. But no um, real quick, can you plug in where people can find you? Yeah, uh, mostly on Twitter. Um, Zach underscore Pearson. Um, it's spelled like person. 
Um, but yeah, find me on there. I love to, I love to talk and discuss these things. And, um, maybe one time, maybe, maybe another time I'll come on and we'll, we'll cover some other topics. I got kind of long winded on the same one or two. So <laughs> no, we'll definitely get this going again. That's my plan. Everyone that's been on is to come on again at some point. So definitely awesome. trying to do that. So yeah. everyone that's listening, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to step into my world. I hope to have you step in next time. Peace out, everyone. Thank you so much, Zach. Appreciate it. Have a great night, everyone. See you, man.